All right, welcome back to Mojo Sessions. Cody Pasby with you. Uh, very excited to have on today a voice, a name you are very familiar with if you've been in this hobby for the last few years. He is Jeremy Lee. He is the host of Sports Cards Live on YouTube. Uh, by the way, uh, I think just past episode 200, if I'm uh, not mistaken. So congratulations on reaching that milestone. And uh, Jeremy, first of all, thanks for joining me today. Really appreciate your time. Hey, well, thanks, Cody. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Uh, yeah, I had my 200th episode of my Saturday show on, on just this past Saturday. Kind of kind of cool to get there. You know, you start off with episode one and episode 10 is a big deal. Episode 30 is a big deal. You don't even you don't even look forward to episode 200. And here we are three and a half years later. Yeah, and, uh, it's been a great ride. Yeah, it's like what's you're right. It's like every Ted and you hit that mark and then suddenly 200, you know, sneaks up on you after all that time. And I'm sure for you, because you're not just doing, of course, the Saturday shows, you're doing all sorts of other shows. So, uh, yeah, it's it's awesome to see all, all that you do and all the work you put in for that. So uh, I know among a lot of the hobby, greatly appreciated. And I, I do want to start off with I always ask everybody when they come on here on Mojo Sessions, just your hobby history. Uh how you got into this? We all have something that first spark, whether it be something, you, some pack you bought at the at the card store, something that grandma or grandpa gave you, an old shoe box of cards. So, what was it for you? Give us uh, your hobby history. How you got from collecting to where you are now? Started early for me, probably uh, 1979 or 80. I'm at my cousin's house, and he's got a bunch of hockey cards lying on his, the floor in his bedroom, and I kind of pick them up and. I'm like, oh, I love these things, little pictures of these players. I used to go to hockey games in the late 70s with my father. And um, and so I I like the stats. I like the the bios. You know, you're just – I was young, learning how to read, learning numbers. And that that was the start for me. And then, you know, from basically 1980 forward, I was collecting the, the Opeachy hockey sets every year. Ended up collecting tops basketball and baseball. And even – I remember 85 football, you know, those – those horizontal black bordered cards was picking up packs of those and uh, continued on throughout, you know, loved completing sets. And then in 1991, I opened up a card shop uh, right in the heart of the junk wax era was around for about three years. Second half of the nineties, I did slow down. Like a lot of people did. And I wasn't out of the hobby, but I wasn't as active. And then in about 99 or 2000, I jumped right back in. I was, you know, graduated from university got a job, had some money, and I just jumped right into uh, to the hobby again. I was impressed by all the jersey cards and autographs out of packs. I mean, that was something that was so, you know, there were some in the early early 90s, but by then it was uh, much, much more of a, of a common thing, and I, was, I just loved it. I've been fully immersed in the hobby ever since then. Um, there's, you know, we've got blowout forums now. Back in the in the early 2000s, it was the Beckett forums. And I was pretty active on the Beckett forums. And when the Beckett forums shut down for no real good reason that we knew, a lot of people moved to other forums, you know, like the basketball people went to Hobby Kings and uh, the baseball and football people went to Sports Card Forum. And then the hockey people went to Hobby Insider. And I was very active there. And in 2012, I actually bought the website from the owner and I own it to this day. It's, uh, you know, kind of runs itself by own, owning it. It doesn't really mean much except that I get to pay the bills for it. Uh, so it is that is what it is. But I still I'm still somewhat active on there. And then, you know, but but that 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 
allowed me to meet a lot of people too. I started because you know the people from Upper Deck and Beckett and Panini at the time when they had a hockey license were active on that website. So I got to know them. And when I started my Sports Cards Live YouTube show in 2020, in April 2020, I kind of had relationships with some people in some of the higher places in the hobby. And I was able to, to get really good guests for my show. And that's kind of what led me to where I am today. As far as content goes, collecting, I collect all sports. I collect some, non, <clears throat> some non-sports and pop culture stuff from 1888 right until... 2023 for the most not a ton of ultra modern but a lot of vintage mm-hmm. i love hall of fame rookies i love 90s inserts i love the 2010 inserts that upper deck makes for hockey i collect griffey i collect michael jordan shaquille o'neal i have like 36 player pcs at last count so i'm pretty pretty active have a pretty broad collection and um uh, sports car as, as my, my opening jingle on my, sh- on my show goes sports cards is a lifestyle. And I fully, uh, it's a full, it's a full out lifestyle for me now, Cody. Yeah. And I think he speaks for all of us as well, for sure on that. I, I actually want to touch on hockey because I, you know, uh, I know you hail from Canada. You talked about that hockey was that first thing you really latched onto and hockey in general, for collectors it does feel like it's in this weird spot right now where a lot of products are a couple of years behind here and yet you also have potentially the biggest rookie chase since Connor mcdavid on the horizon where do you see the hockey market right now are we are we due for a comeback here for hockey especially maybe in canada it's a different story but i know stateside uh it definitely is starting to fall behind a little bit, but it feels like right now is a moment to really take advantage of a guy who could be this sort of next transcendent sort of type star in uh, the national hockey league. Yeah. Well, you're right. You nailed it. Uh, Connor Bedard is the the biggest thing to come along since Connor McDavid, who was the biggest thing to come along since Sidney Crosby and, uh, and Alex Ovechkin. They had, they were from the same rookie class. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, Connor Bedard seems to be everything that he was touted to be in the preseason games. He's already got a hat trick in one of his games, uh, set up both goals and a recent win a couple nights ago. I mean, I don't, I've never seen him play myself. I've only seen highlights, but it seems to be like, you know, the state side, people are noticing Connor Bedard because they're card collectors. I'm talking about the hobby, right? Mm-hmm. Basketball, baseball, football collectors. I feel like they are noticing because I get messages from people all the time saying, where can I find this guy's cards? Is he everything that he's touted to be? And I say, I think he might be. I'm not going to say for sure. And you're going to have to wait for Upper Deck Series 1 for his first young gun to come out unless you want any of the like lower end stuff, which will come out uh, before. And it's not Series 1, sorry, Series 2, right? Uh, where when that will come out. So I think that if if... You know, if hockey is going to catch on more in the U.S. with collectors, uh, Connor Bedard might be the guy who's going to help that to happen. He is playing for an original six NHL team, the Chicago Blackhawks, which to me was the second best scenario. The first would have been the Montreal Canadiens, but I'm really happy that he ended up. And I think it's maybe better overall that he is in Chicago, actually, because <laughs> it is a U.S. team with a ton of history, a rich history. And, yeah, I mean, hockey – Hockey isn't weird. You mentioned it kind of fell behind. It did. Like soccer overtook hockey as far as overall volume goes in the last little bit. I think hockey is maybe caught back up now because soccer seems to be more trendy. You know, Cody, I often say and think that 
hockey probably has the second strongest foundation of collectors of the big, not including soccer, but basketball, football, baseball, hockey. I think hockey has the second strongest foundation behind only baseball. I think basketball, football, it's a lot of transient collectors that, and I don't like to use this term in the derogatively, but flippers, you know, it's, a, it's, I think that from a pure collecting standpoint and not just cards being flipped from person to person, hockey is very strong. You, you know, you go to the expo, the sport card expo in Toronto, it's an amazing card show. It's not as big as the national, of course. It's like, I think a, maybe about a fifth the size now. Actually, it's going to grow here in November, the expo. But in any event, it's like 80% hockey and they're fanatics about it up here, myself yeah. included. So, you know, it's uh, it's underestimated by Americans because they don't see it much down there, even, even though, you know, there's like 25 U.S. teams and the Vegas Golden Knights just won the Stanley Cup and there are some great players. So, yeah, I think hockey is, is maybe ripe for a bit of an uptick. Yeah, I think it's a great point, especially because you consider, I think you mentioned baseball, which I think vintage is the thing you can always fall back on on baseball. If maybe a year, a rookie year is not that hot or something like say, well, vintage will always be there. It's always going to be, like you said, the foundation of it. And I think hockey with just the rich history, maybe the richest history out outside of baseball when you come to the four major, uh, you know, North American sports, uh, it, it just makes a lot of sense. So, uh, yeah, I would love to see it. You know, uh, I, I'm still a little bit bitter as a San Jose Sharks fan that uh the blackhawks ended up with bedard but you know i maybe i'll come around on it who knows uh, but uh, I'm, I'm very excited to see and i would love to see hockey make a little to make a comeback here especially because uh upper deck i think when they make really really high end i i think their high end stuff and some some of the stuff they make is still to this day i think some of the best quality you can find in this hobby I I, I agree, Cody. Yeah. I mean, when I and I, you know, you can go through a, a lot of my content and hear me say this, but I truly believe, like with my in my heart, that Upper Deck does make the the from a look and feel perspective, their cards are are just nicer than Tops and Panini's cards. Like they they feel more solid. They're just better made. I don't know why or what it is. Maybe it's the designers. Maybe it's the materials that they're using. I think they all kind of share the same printer, so it can't be that. But right. in any event, like, yeah, Upper Deck's cards and designs have always, to me, been the nicest. Now, not to say Tops and Penny don't make some absolutely stunning cards. They do. Yeah. But if overall, I like, I'm glad that that the sport that I collect the most, being hockey, is the one that is not, uh, you know, a is not Panini and Tops. I, I yeah. love that Upper Deck still makes hockey. Yeah, and it's it's definitely something that, you know, as this whole industry is in flux, which, you know, we'll talk about that in a bit, hope they can hold on to that license and, and, and continue to make high-quality products. But I want to shift back to you on the show. Uh, you, you touched on it a little bit. Uh, you start the show back, I believe, in April 2020. You started around then. Uh, what's that first spark of inspiration of, like, I want to do this. I want to talk to people with this, within this industry. Uh, what were your hopes and expectations when you – hit record on that very first episode. Yeah, no, good question. So it all started in March of 2020 when uh, there was all the card show, the, the national was in question. The sport card expo was canceled. And uh, Justin G, 610 sports card start, did a like a, an Instagram card show. And I sat, signed up, said, I'll do that. Laid out cards on my dining room table, turned the camera on really for the first time live on my phone and had a great time doing it. Sold a few cards. Then I decided, you know, I've got some graded hockey cards, vintage cards I want to sell. So I went to a vintage Facebook group, vintage hockey Facebook group, and I asked the moderators, hey, can, instead of me just, you know, coining and 
putting my name and taking pictures. Can I just live stream this to your, to your group? They go, sure, but you can't show any cards after 1989. I said, no problem. A couple nights later, I go live. I got stacks of graded cards here on my desk. And I'm just kind of showing them like one at a time. I got this card, this, you know, and people bought cards, loved it. And then I got some, some feedback after saying, you should do that again. That was a lot of fun. I thought to myself, well, that's great, but I got modern hockey cards I want to sell. And there's a million modern hockey Facebook groups, so I don't know how to pick one. Well, maybe I should start a new Facebook group for live streaming sales instead of instead of having to do pictures. Basically, whatnot before whatnot was was even conceived. I had sure. that idea, <laughs> and so so uh, I created the Facebook group, and I like I and I thought, well, I'm gonna call it Sports Cards Live. That's a great name for what I want to do. Created the name. I never did do that live stream shopping thing. And then I went to YouTube and I locked the name down there. I thought this is a great name. I should try and lock it down wherever I can. So I got I got the name on YouTube. And then I started thinking to myself, okay, I'm gonna do a live stream. So it was April 16, 2020. I do a live stream with just me talking about what I'm planning to do. And I don't even I've never gone back to watch it, Cody, but I think what I said was I'm gonna have an interview on Saturday. And I'm going to get Carvin Chung to join me. Carvin was a friend of mine from Upper Deck who created Exquisite and the yeah. Cup and all the, all these things. So I had already talked to him. I said, Carv, I'm going to go live on Saturday. Do you want to come with me? I'll interview you. We'll talk about your experience. He's like, yeah, happy to. So I did the episode on the, the, the Wednesday or Thursday, the 16th. And I just said, I'll have Carvin on. And I don't know what we're going to do after that. So I have Carvin on on the Saturday, the 18th of April, 2020, we have a great discussion. And then I think, well, I guess I got to interview someone else next time. So I started putting out calls and reaching out to people I knew in the hobby. And that was kind of, that was the start of it. Really. It was like, I wanted to live stream to sell, came up with the name, found streaming software. I've been using I've been a paid user of StreamYard since April, 2020. And, uh, Let's face it, you know, Cody, StreamYard is amazing. Without StreamYard, we can't do what we do, right? 100%. I owe it all to StreamYard, really. Uh, and um, and it just I just thought to myself, okay, I got to keep on getting guests. And back then, I was doing episodes every Wednesday and Saturday. Wednesday, I would do a collector episode. Saturday, I would do an industry insider episode. And I, it really just spun out of control from there to, you know, this past Saturday. Yeah, it was my 200th episode of my main show, I've done over 500 live streams between all the shows I do. I refer to Sports Cards Live. The Saturday show is kind of my flagship show. And um, yeah, here we are. And I, I've done a ton of different types of shows now and uh, continuing. You know, I don't see an end in sight for me. That's great. And it's, you know, it, it, it I, I've noticed since that time where, you know, 2020, 2021, there has certainly been this, this influx, I think, in, in the sports card media landscape. You know, I'll, I'll include us in that conversation where with our podcast, but not on yours, uh, you've seen sports card nonsense, uh, card talk, all the, you know, there's so many more. I know I'm missing a few, uh, but it, it's really become uh, exciting to see this grow. And I think uh, from a, a pool that was, you know, this is a giant, like I said, a giant influx, but now things, the dust have settled and you see folks like yourself and, and all these other great podcasts. I think I, uh, I saw also another one, DA, the chase has got their two other episode today. Yeah. So there's all these great, uh, uh, you know, 
I could say uh, being in this industry from the breaking perspective, you felt that camaraderie from the breakers. And I think it's totally sh shifted into the media landscape as well. So, uh, yeah, it's it, it's been really, really fun to see to, uh, to see all these guys really staking their claim and, and having shared audiences and all that. And everyone's got uh, some, something to choose from. Uh, I do want to ask one more here on on the podcast you've had a lot of big guests. You've had a lot of in industry insiders. I know you just recently had uh, Gary Vee on, you had uh, heads over upper deck, all that. Anybody surprised you? Anything you've heard from some of these guys that kind of either took you aback, maybe in a, in a, in a nice way, or uh, just, just something that you could think of specifically that, that always you'll remember as something that might've, might've uh, gone uh, against your expectations, I guess. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you mentioned I had Gary Vee. Obviously Gary Vee is a, a big name in the hobby and, you know, I've got these yellow stickies on my wall of kind of my target guests. And Gary's name was on my wall for a long time just because he's a he's a big name. He's got stuff to say. And when I when I had him on, I live on the show, I took his name. I go, Gary, it's been on my wall for three years. I'm happy to finally take it off. He was he was very kind. Gary's a very kind uh, individual when you talk to him, you know, face to face. Patrick Bet David was a big guest for me. This is already over two years ago. And I don't know if you know who he is, but he, Patrick, you know, yeah. So he he's interviewed everybody from, you know, gangsters to Kobe Bryant to Russian spies. And he had Kobe Bryant, an amazing interview he did with Kobe Bryant. And when I, he was coming on, I, he, I was nervous. I don't, I'm not, I don't get nervous anymore. I was nervous for him because he's an interviewer himself. So I studied him. I watched his interviews before he came on. And then I turned the table and I kind of treated him the way he – I spoke to him the way he speaks to his guests. And at the end of it, he was going to give me like 15 minutes. And he ended up going double. And at the very end, he says – he says, and Jeremy, I just want to – this is me. He was very – I'll just say he was very complimentary for my interview skills. And that made me feel really good. But from more of a hobby content perspective, just this past Saturday – I had Mike Baker on from Mike ba Baker on diamonds. He put, you know, he puts the, for people who don't know, he puts the, the eye appeal stickers on grading graded slabs. And I've been under the impression that the very first card PSA ever graded was the Honus Wagner, the PSA eight that was owned by Bruce McDonald and Wayne Gretzky uh, because it has the serial number, you know, zero, zero, zero one. So we always thought, he told me on Saturday that that was not, in fact, the first card that they graded. They reserved that serial number for that card. So I thought that was something neat that he mentioned to me. And this is, you know, it's very recent. This was just here on Saturday. So um, that was kind of, that, that was pretty cool. But yeah, I mean, every guest I have and uh, even the, the national, the new management team for the national, uh, they hadn't done any public podcasts at all. And um, they deliberately chose my platform for their first public appearance. And I had them on back in August and uh, they shared some, you know, it was the first time they now, but you know, the fact that trade nights, they're going to make, there's going to be a trade night every night next, next year. Uh, so it's, it's a re it's really cool to, uh, to be able to have access to all these industry insiders and um you know cody you probably know how this goes when you start you're out there you're out there wrangling for guests yeah. and as time goes by that need redu is reduced and they start coming to you saying hey we'd love you know we've we'd love to come on your show and uh that's the situation that's a like i still reach out to people and i'm and you do too yeah but 
you and I, at this point, we get people saying, hey, you know, you get these emails, you know, hey, we were doing this or that, or I've got this collection. You know, if you're ever looking for guests, feel free to hit me up. And I love that. I try to balance my podcast out between the industry insiders, passionate collectors, and other content creators. Those are kind of the three categories of people that I bring uh, on my show. Yeah, I think that that's absolutely on it. Because, yeah, you you you. I, I think we like to think of it this way. I'm sure you the same way. Uh, you're you're a voice for the hobby, for the collectors. Uh, you know, I think when it's at, at the end of the day, who makes this hobby for the most part? It's collectors. It's people who are buying these boxes, collecting them, going to these trade nights and nationals and shows. So you want to be that voice of them and, and you know, be honest, be direct, and, and also give voice to all these other people. So, yeah, I 100% agree uh, on that one. Uh, and speaking of that, while I have you here, you, you're a hobby vet. So uh, I definitely want to pick your brain on a few hot topics that are going on right now in, in, in the in the sports card world in general. Uh, actually, a great time to have you on as this weekend was kind of I know for baseball collectors. I'm a big baseball collector. It's my number one. Uh, it's kind of the big topic right now, whether it's Bowman Chrome Super Fractors, Babe Ruth, uh, Bowman Chrome suddenly at the forefront of our thoughts again here about a month after release. Um for good or bad, I guess I could say. Uh, but what do you think of this whole Bowman Chrome Superfractor buyback scenario here? I've seen people put up comps online where it's like, well, I bought this for you know $2,500, but Topps is buying it back at $7,500. And uh, I should kind of mention anyone. Uh, I know a lot of our listeners probably already know, but uh, there was uh, Topps admitted an issue with Bowman Chrome that there are dual Superfractors uh, in this non-auto superfractors in this year's 2023 bowman chrome set and they have said we will buy back one of those superfractors uh and they have listed all those prices uh how do you think about the way fanatics is handling this right now do you think they is it just they this is all they really could do uh how, how would you grade how they're handling this whole situation i give it an a minus so yeah because first <laughs> of all i think i i listen what it's a mistake. You know, the, they, they likely print two sheets of these anyway, one in case there's damaged copies or whatever. And then, it, listen, I'm speculating. The extra, the damage control sh- copies got packed out somehow by by accident, some some just misplay there. Okay, whatever that, whatever happened there, who knows? So now they're out there, the hobby discovers it, and they have to reply, they have to respond, they have to communicate to the hobby what they're going to do. I like that they... Uh, to me, these prices are so beyond what these cards will ever be worth. I've said to people, like, maybe one player will ever sell for more than what Tops is buying them back for. But that's kind of the a good thing that they're doing that. They're saying, we want these back. We want to make good on this. So we're going to overpay to make sure you're willing to send them back to us versus keeping them out there and kind of ruining the integrity of that particular player's super factor or the product overall. So I like that they are overpaying for these things now it is causing we're seeing there is some controversy collector versus collector can't you know uh canceled transactions on ebay this this sort of thing but i don't know what else they could have done i haven't brainstormed the idea i wasn't in the war room with them when they were deciding how to how to fix this issue so i think that outside of creating this this pitting collectors against each other uh and I think they did that inadvertently. Um, that's why I give it an A minus, you know, versus an, an an overall A. 
I love that they're paying so much for them. It just says that, you know what, we're going to, uh, we're, we're going to make this better. We do want to take these things off the market. I think that's where they have to get to. And they're going to make some people financially better off than they otherwise would have been. So that's a nice thing. And at the end of the day, even though it's like $700,000 altogether, Cody, it, it's not going to cost them anything. They're going to get a ton of, a ton of press about this. A, it, it's a good marketing, it, like put in the marketing expense uh, instead of, you know, in, instead of some other uh, category for them from an accounting perspective. So, yeah, I, could be worse. They could have done a lot worse. Oh, absolutely. I totally agree that this is uh, kind of the only way you could have done this. And hey, you know what? There's an added benefit of suddenly a product that's been out for about a month has this, uh, you know, has some extra legs on it where people are now chasing it probably more than they were a few weeks ago, knowing that there is this added incentive of I could get this right back to top. So it's something we talked about, too, on our show is there have been these hiccups, these snafus here in the last year, over a year since Fanatics has has really taken a hold of of the of the process over at Tops, and every time something does happen, uh, you wish it doesn't. You wish this stuff doesn't happen, but it's going to happen. Every time they this does happen, they seem to respond really, really well. I think they're very, very aware that everybody's eyes are laser focused on what they're going to do every move they're going to make oh there i think there's a lot of collectors maybe out there that are waiting for them to screw up uh and i think that they 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 are very very aware of that and uh frankly i think doing all the right moves when it comes to at least uh you know fixing these mistakes are the collectors waiting for them to screw because the collectors just want to collect and they want to collect peacefully or is it the some of the content creators that want them to, <laughs> so they have content to make. Yeah, well, that, fair point. Yeah, definitely. I mean, look at us right now. We're talking about it. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, another thing. Like, th th we're going to all talk about it. So, yeah, absolutely. Everybody wins, I guess, at the end of this. Um, <laughs> kind of uh, also going back on Fanatics, uh, like I said, they've been here doing uh, really about a year and a half now where they have uh, been. Uh, the part of this whole process where they are now the face of uh, baseball cards, at least. And now you see all these things happening with potentially football and basketball, WWE getting thrown into all this as well. Um, what do you think is the best thing that they have brought into this hobby? And what do you think still needs improvement uh, for fanatics? I mean, they, they haven't, they haven't really, Outside of, you know, taking over ownership of tops, like they haven't done a lot yet that I can see mm -hmm. from where, from my perspective. And I'm not saying that they're not doing things behind the scenes. Of course they are, you know, like the, having Victor Wembanyama out amongst collectors, like that's cool. Having Tom Brady out at the rip party last weekend, that's really cool. I think what they're doing good is, you know, Michael Rubin as the CEO of Fanatics has all these relationships and it see the indicator right now is that the indication now is that he's going to leverage those relationships to build his new business being sports cards and to build awareness of, of sports cards amongst other sports fans. That's where I think the biggest growth can come from because I, you know, you think about like even populations of a Luka Doncic uh, prism card, you know, there's like 15,000 PSA tens. Well, there's more than that many people that go to the games. And that's only in, in, in Dallas. So I think there's so much potential to grow the hobby amongst sports fans who have the collector gene in them, but it's dormant. You know, it's there, but it hasn't woken up yet. My collector gene has been awake for 40-something years. 
but not everybody. So there's all these people going to sporting events who are collectors. They just don't know it yet. And I think, mm -hmm. I think uh, fanatics is going to be able to uh, really wake that up in a lot of these people. So I think that's what they will do because they have to, they have to, there's so many, all the stakeholders want it to happen right, right down to the athletes probably at this point, because there's money in it now for them, for the sports leagues, for the teams. And of course, for the, for, for fanatics, the distributors, the manufacturers, the LCSs, I didn't mean manufacturers, that's fanatics now, but the LCSs, the breakers, everybody. I mean, uh, so I think that's what I think. There you go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there you go. Keep it simple. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I you know, you, you mentioned the like the awareness, and that was one of the big things I remember Michael Rubin talking about was that the marketing is not there in this hobby. We really need to fix the marketing of this hobby. And to their point, I think I have seen Topps baseball cards and 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 their products marketed more than ever before uh i've seen it you know i, I like i said i'm a huge baseball guy so I, uh, I i got mlb tv and all that stuff and i've seen some tops things but more than ever i have seen way more top stuff they got i know they have their own show on mlb network now and uh so it's definitely living up to what he said right now and i think uh yeah it's it, we'll see if it's gonna work but right now it's he's living up to his word uh, at this moment um uh, We've talked tops fanatics. We've mentioned upper deck earlier. Uh, there's one more of the big three we haven't mentioned is Panini, which feels like the one that's most in flux right now. The most, uh, you know, it's hard to really pinpoint where is this going to go for them. So just briefly, if you want to just give your thoughts of like, where do you think Panini stands in all of this? And maybe this is a, a, kind of a big question, but if you're in their shoes, uh, there's a lot of stuff they're juggling right now, obviously with the lawsuits and all of them. Um, how do you think this gets resolved? How would you resolve these some of these issues? Uh, because, man, like I said, it's a big question because there's a ton of stuff to resolve here. But yeah, uh, yeah but how, how? What do you think the is the uh, end goal, end game here for Panini? Well, I can speak to what the end game is. What I would do if I was running Panini, I I don't know. It's hard for me to say that because I got the collector, the hobbyist part uh, hat on right now. So the end game for for them you know, is going to be milk this thing for all they can until they can't anymore. That's what they did in hockey. When they, they had the hockey license from like 2012, or sorry, 2010 till 2013, I think it was a four-year run. And in the final year, they dumped all, the, they made the best products in the final year because they dumped all their memorabilia into these products because they had to. So I see the same thing happening this time for them with basketball and football. I think they're just going to have to, get rid of all their inventory, all their memorabilia inventory. You know, they came to it. They, they Panini created Panini America when they got these light, these North American licenses. I think they're gonna have to pack up and go back to Italy be, unless they want to get into the unlicensed business and join leaf in that game. And let's face it. Leaf leaf has no competition when it comes to that. Really? I, none that I, I, there are a couple companies set up the national, but I hadn't really even heard of them before. So I mean, maybe they want to go that direction. And now, now you're now that's me putting on my, you know, run, I run Panini. What am I going to do? I'm, 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 I'm going to probably just figure that I have no shot against Fanatics because the leagues have already given those licenses over. I try, you know, they tried to get them even quicker. They weren't successful. So now we have certainty for the next couple of years that we can continue to to make our football and basketball pro and basketball products through to the end of our original deal. But once that's over. I mean, they really need to milk it for all they can. From a business perspective, they need to milk it for all they can 
financially profit wise, it's not going to be the hobby. You know, they're going to flood the market most likely and the hobby may not take too kindly to it, but that's what they, from a business perspective have to do. And then pack up your stuff and go back to Italy because what's left here for you, you know, leaf has the pickleball license. So, and the bowling. So what are they going to get? I, I don't know. They have to, they have to invent a new sport. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, that might be it. I, I, I'm trying to think. Yeah, what's still up for grabs right now? I don't know. Uh, it's yeah, it, it's hard to think. Yeah, hopefully the next pickleball comes up and they can and swoop on that. But uh, yeah, you're right. I, I, it, it, from a from a global perspective, they it, it still have some of these soccer licenses that has still been their bread and butter. It's been their thing forever and ever. So as long as they have that, it's not uh, a complete crisis. But yeah, it is. It, it, it does feel like. And sorry, Cody, but they yeah, have the sticker business, like the soccer sticker business, like that. They're not going to lose that. Exactly. Panini, Panini Europe or Italy, whatever it's called over there. I'm sure. I have to think. I'm I'm guessing is doing just fine. It's Panini America, the subsidiary of their global parent, that is in that is more has more uncertainty surrounding it right now. So you know what? I mean, companies often launch subsidiaries in, in foreign countries. They have a good 10 year run and then they it's done. You know, the trend, the trend runs out. That might be the case here. And like I've said a couple of times, pack it up, go back to Italy. Thanks for what you, thanks for your services while you were here. You created some great products. We're going to continue yeah. to love them and collect them, but that might be the end of them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Maybe Tops decides, you know, we want this one, this one, maybe a National Treasures or a Prism or whatever, and, and they make some sort of deal there. But yeah, it does it does feel like at this point, the most likely scenario. And that's the other, you know, putting back the top running Panini hat is, well, now I try to, I try to get value for our brands because yeah. before I pack up and go, because I can't produce basketball cards or football cards anymore under the you know, Prism, National Treasures, all these, all these awesome brands that they have, I'm going to want to sell them to maybe Tops because they're the ones with the licenses now. So maybe yeah. they do that. Yeah, it, it would definitely not shock me if, yeah, on the on the way out, some of those big brands uh, do make their way over to Tops. And, uh, hey, I'm sure. just speaking uh, officially licensed, yeah. like National Treasures Baseball, uh, sounds pretty good to me. So uh, one last one. And, again, thanks for uh, for joining me uh, on the show today. Uh, kind of culminates everything we've been talking about here uh a lot of change in this industry that's a that's a consistency in this industry is there's always a lot of change but uh definitely uh it does feel like it has been amped up here in the last year two years or so but uh any bold predictions for the hobby uh maybe this point next year where we stand a year from now do you think there's going to be anything any bold uh changes to this hobby Yes. <laughs> a whole lot of them. How much time you got? <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, once you, th you think you've seen it all and then there's bigger news that comes out, you know, um, I, it's tough, man. I mean, bold, more consolidation. I think that with any, with any maturing industry and, you know, the, we call it the hobby. It's kind of our, our fond term for this. It's, it's, it, the hobby lives within the industry. This is an industry and the hobby is the comfort zone for us collectors within it. Um, so I think I, but, but you can't lose sight of the fact that it is an industry and it's always been an industry. It's never, it's never been about, Oh, like a charitable endeavor for collectors to collect baseball cards from cigarette packs. Those were there to sell more cigarettes. It's always been an industry. Yeah. We, you know, so it's very naive to think, that the collector 
is put first all the time. I think we should be put first a lot. And, you know, when, if and when, I think it's more of a when Fanatics goes public, I think it's going to be a different, a different environment at that point in time. Because once any company goes public, there's so much time, effort, resources, money that goes into shareholder communications and reporting and compliance that that money has to come from somewhere and it's not going to come from the owner's pockets. It's going to come from, it's going to come from, well, eventually it does, but it comes from revenue. It's going to, so, you know, right now it might feel like the card, like, like fanatics and tops is putting the collector first. It might feel to some like that when they go public, I just say, you know, just, just be careful uh, or not be careful. No, I'm going to rephrase it. Manage your expectations as, as a hobbyist. When they go public, it's going to be different. It's just going to be because all of a sudden their number one stakeholder is the shareholder, not the customer, not the collector. It's unfortunate. Now, listen, it's up to them to, to turn that around and say, listen, in order to maximize value for our shareholder, we have to maximize value for our customer. Otherwise, we're going to lose the customer. But the customers in this hobby have shown for the past several years that we'll eat up anything you feed us. <laughs> yeah, they absolutely so, have. Yeah. So until the customer starts speaking with their wallet and you combine that with fanatics going public, um, let's just say I'm glad there's 140 years of product out there in the history of the hobby to collect. And I don't, and I listen for LCSs and breakers like yourselves, you guys have, it's different for you than it is for me. Who's really just a collector. Sure. Um, I, I'm glad that I can fall back on, you know, collecting nineties inserts and, and sixties vintage hall of fame, rookie cards and all, and, and that's, and even look for gems from the junk wax era. So yeah, I don't know if that's much of a bold prediction as much I, as it is a, just a message to manage your expectations, people, because we don't know what's coming. We re- we just don't. We think we do, but we don't. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, I don't think anyone, you know, well, I know uh, Doug will, will brag about he knew Fanatics was coming all along, but I don't think a lot of people would have expected uh, the changes we've seen over the last couple of years. So, yeah, always 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 stay on your toes you're right and i think uh, solid solid advice uh, as we wrap it up jeremy thank you so much uh for joining me today uh, i know we're ending right uh what we got about i just mentioned i know you're, you're like i said you're from canada and the blue jays are first pitch in about an hour so right on time I, I know it's not quite like maybe the maple leaves uh in the playoffs where everything probably shuts down for half the country but i gotta think blue jays playoff baseball still a pretty big deal right Cody, no, you're wrong. It's huge. It does oh, shut hey. down more so than wow. the Maple Leafs because the Toronto Maple Leafs are just in Toronto. That's true. Whole the country. The Blue Jays yeah. and the Raptors have a whole country behind them. So the whole country. I used to own a bar here in Calgary back in 2014. Well, for a few years. 2015, I think, the Blue Jays made a run. And we were like, people were skipping work, coming into the bar to watch. We had our busiest week in my whole, the whole time I, I was in that business or the busiest months when they were in the playoffs that year. No, the whole country shuts down when the Blue Jays are in the playoffs. The Raptors, we probably have, the Raptors and the Blue Jays probably have the biggest fan bases of all MLB and NBA teams because they get the whole country. Right. Maybe except for like the Dallas Cowboys and and the New York Yankees who, you know, have worldwide appeal. Outside of that, it might be the Raptors and the Blue Jays. 
That's incredible. That is incredible. Well, hey, I'm pulling for him. They got a lot of, uh, I'm a Giants fan, so they got a lot of former Giants. Brandon Belt is a guy I love. So I'm pulling for the Jays. So we we end right on time for first pitch. And uh, Jeremy, once again, let everybody know uh, where they can find you. Thanks. Th- thanks for having me, Cody. It's a lot of fun. Okay. Great, great conversation. Um, I, my YouTube channel is, and podcast is called Sports Cards Live. Three words. So you can just search that. You'll probably see my, my neon sign come up. And uh, on Instagram, I'm J Lee underscore Sports Cards Live. J L E E underscore Sports Cards Live. There you, you go. There you go. Jeremy Lee, host of Sports Card Live. Thank you so much for joining me here on Mojo Sessions. Thank you.